Hello, everybody. Welcome to Lions Watch. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. And as you know, Luke and I are very much invested in all things England. So every Saturday, we're bringing you the big stories relating to the three Lions and Gareth Southgate squad for the Euros this summer. Who's on the bus? Who's in the departure lounge? Whose metatarsal will be plastered on the front pages? We're covering it all and throwing in our insight and cautious optimism along the way. Each week, we will be looking back on the tournaments and eras from England's recent history that have shaped this England team. Be warned, we're starting with the Fabio Capella era today. This is a show that will give you fresh insight into the England national team and some all-too-familiar feels of what it's like to be an England fan. That's a lovely touch. Lampard! Brilliant! It was in now! That surely crossed the line! It's not been given! Well, that was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team. Ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. And did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! Well, 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 Luke Moore. Just you and I. Here we are. Just the two of us, we can make it if we try. <laughs> I tell you what, it's all about England, baby. <laughs> Just the 23 of us, we can make it if we try. Yeah, you finally lobbied for your own England show. Yes, and I'm, and I'm glad I managed to have your support. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I lobbied for it on your behalf, then realised I was caught cr- right in the crosshairs. You're the, the Alex Salmon's party to my Nicholas Sturgeon. <laughs> I'm the Sammy Lee to your Big Sam. <laughs> a better reference, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about Scottish national parties They're in an same England group show. As us. Same group as us. We can't have Scotland chat today. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Well, look, there's, there's an awful lot of chat around the England squad, of course. There always is. Mm. But this feels a little bit different, I think. Mm. Normally we're thinking, hang on, who's... Theo Walcott, who's that? Yeah. Or someone's particularly upset that uh, that a, 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 you know a fullback for an unfashionable side hasn't made it in, something like that. But this England squad, I, I think this is this is there's a different feel to it for my money because not only are we argue, or people might argue over the starting eleven, there's arguments on who should go and who shouldn't go mm. in in a way that I don't think I've seen before. It's I think a very that, hard. It's a very hard time to pick. An England squad, yes. which is a, an amazing problem to have. Mm. You know, I mean, it's not really a problem for us; it's a problem for for Big Gareth. But we we do have, it seems to me, like a very very large pool of exciting, particularly young players. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it makes this show, Lions Watch, a all the more kind of interesting exercise because um, Gareth's got to make the right choices, mm. and um, I guess as ever, he'll be judged by his results. Do you trust him? <laughs> I do trust him because because you trust him. <laughs> well, we're like a friend of a friend. Exactly. <laughs> well, we'll certainly have our say on the show, um, and I'm yeah. sure you will do uh, as well, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we'll start with some some updates around the players that uh, we think will be in the squad mm. because injuries are going to happen. Mm. It is inevitable. Mm. Um, I mean, there's there's reports, uh, recent reports that Jack Grealish could be out until May, uh, which would be would be a great shame. But the one we're going to focus in is Declan Rice. Yeah. So the new section for this show is mm. probably going to always be about injuries. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, well, or, or no injuries, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's kind of what's going to drive this, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's unlikely we're going to get, because there's only a, a small amount of games left between now and the tournament itself, it's unlikely we're going to get players falling out of form to such a degree mm. that we're going to 
see them drop out because there's not that many squads to be named yes. between now and the tournament anyway. Well, you think what? Well, yeah, I mean, what kind of form would Declan Rice have to put in between now and the end of the season to not get in on that basis? Yeah, I mean, I think Declan. I mean, look, we probably haven't got time for the things Declan Rice could do and still get in the squad. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's absolutely. I mean, that's why it's such big news that what we've seen about his knee injury, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he started eight of England's last nine competitive games. The only one he didn't start was against San Marino, mm. which I'm sure he won't lose too much sleep over. This is um, an England player who will probably start if fit. Mm-hmm. So how big a, of a concern is this for you? Because sometimes we look at the England squads and we think, oh, actually, we've got some good players. And then there's a couple of injuries. Uh, and then we think, oh, blimey, we're short. And and central midfield, Declan Rice, as I say, would be a starter. If he if he missed the tournament through injury, it would be a, there would be a little bit of a hole in that squad. Yeah. So the idea that Declan Rice, I personally, first and foremost, think he will be back in time. But the idea that he's going to be out for a month is obviously less than ideal mm. because you, because of the age he is and the type of player he is. He obviously, obviously always wants to be playing. He always does play for West Ham. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been very, very um, heavily used this season for both West Ham and England. Um, so I think he will be back, but I think obviously it's not ideal. Now, for me, the ideal midfield three, which is going to be... You're going to go for three midfield? It's going to be, it's going to be a three, isn't it? 4 three, three, we're looking yeah, at. it will be. Okay. And I, think, I, th- I think it's probably a bit pointless us just going off on flights of fancy about formations we'd like to see because yeah. we want to uh, keep mm-hmm. it in reality. So it's going to be a 4-3-3. Three, three. Mm-hmm. Now, I would like to see Henderson, Rice and Mount in there. Yeah. That would be my choice. I think, so a, like, I think a few, quite a few people would say that. So I'd have Henderson um, you know, screening a little bit deeper. I think Mount can do all the stuff he can do. Um, Obviously, he's got everything in his locker, really. I would like to see Rice filling out a slightly more expansive role, striding forward more. I think he's capable Mm -hmm. of doing it. Um, But unfortunately, it looks like we're not going to get both Rice and Henderson. Mm. So, worst case scenario is neither of them will be available. But do that England defence really need a screen? Well, yes. I think they probably do, yes. (laughs) A couple of screens. So, if Henderson's not available, it looks like it's going to be Calvin Phillips, which I'm very happy with. Mm. Calvin Phillips can perform that role well. Mm Um, if Rice isn't in there, then what are you looking at? So, um, Bellingham or well, James Ward-Prowse? So, I tell you, so Ward-Prowse, is interesting what uh, Phillips said because he started the game against Poland at home, mm-hmm. which England won. Uh, Apparently, he wasn't supposed to start That's it. what he said. He said Ward-Prowse was due to start. I found that quite interesting because Ward-Prowse came on against Albania in the 2-0 win away from home. Phillips started the game, mm-hmm. um, but played in a slightly more advanced role than maybe we see him for Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um but he said Ward-Prowse would have started the game against Poland had he not have picked up a, a, an injury. And I thought that's really interesting because for me, Ward-Prowse, I thought would be... And maybe this is Southgate's thinking. South, he's one of those... Places. See, some people look at these games and I know they're qualifiers. Normally, we wouldn't have qualifiers at this time before a tournament. You'd have lots of friendlies and whatnot. But you, you, you can't just say, OK, well, I've got my four central midfielders and I'm only going to play them. Mm. Well, you know there's going to be an injury, so you have to play one or two others in there to give them a bit of experience, wearing the England shirt, to give them a bit of experience around the camp, because it would be madness not to. And I thought Ward-Prowse would be one of those more backup players. But when he said he would start off a opponent, I thought, has he got bigger plans for him? Yeah. I think I think it's a case of of accepting that the players that you're talking about are all slightly different players. Mm. If you look, if you take, if you take Jude Bellingham, for example, there's been you know, far greater tactical minds than mine saying, look, he's performing a slightly different role at Dortmund. Mm-hmm. He's he's asked, he's being asked to play more defensively. He screens more. He takes the ball in tight spaces and he plays it simple and he mm-hmm. recycles the possession. Um, and I think everyone expects Jude Bellingham to be able to do a bit of everything. And whatever he develops into as a midfield player is going to be very exciting. Um, 
to me, I do think it involves an adjustment. If you if you are going to take Henderson, Rice, and Mount as your first three, but you can't have all of those, mm. it does affect slightly how you want to play. For me, Phillips slots in almost perfectly as a Henderson replacement. Right? Mm-hmm. Is he as good as Henderson? Does he do it in the same way? The answer to both those questions, in my opinion, is no. Mm-hmm. What Henderson's achieved, what he's been able to do, is incredible. But the reality is, he's been out and he's a player of a certain age. Mm. So. To me, the midfield is a concern because I do actually think with all three of those fit and firing, mm-hmm. that's a that's a really dynamic, really exciting midfield mm-hmm. side. But as I said at the start of this, I do expect Rice to be back. So, I'll put it to you now. This might You might have a little cold sweat in a moment. Rice and Henderson both out of the tournament. Mm. Then what are you looking at the midfield? You've got Phillips, Ward-Prowse, Bellingham in those kind of positions. Um you start to sort of, there's a bit of worry there, isn't there? I think you're right. I think Rice and Henderson are very crucial players. I mean, he has it, was it against Belgium in in, in the, the home game in the UEFA Nations League? Forgive me if I've, I've got this wrong, but it, I think it was Rice and Henderson in the middle of a four in mm. midfield. Now, we, we think he'll play three in the centre. Mm. But it, it is a concern if, if both of them are out. I think if one of them are out, one of those players is not there, well, that is a loss if England don't have Henderson. Or Rice, but both of them out. Do they play Phil Foden deeper, maybe? So he can carry the ball very well. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, perhaps that's a possibility. But but ultimately, in, in, international tournament football is a lot about this kind of stuff, about mm. timing, about players who are match fit, players who yeah. aren't. We, I mean, I know that our colleague on the Ramble, Andy Russell, thinks that um, you know the football's going to be dreadful. It's mm. going to be about really conservative. It's going to be about keeping the ball so you're not as tired. And it's going to be about not making mistakes. That's how teams usually win tournaments. But I feel like yeah, that is probably true, but I don't think that's always true. And I feel like that, that, that I do feel like it, it really does depend mm-hmm. because I've, I've seen you know Spain in 2010, right? Yeah, but they were still, again... They used, they used the possession of football as a defensive tactic. Yeah. But it wasn't about keeping it really tight and not making a mistake. It was. Yeah, I agree, but it was all one nils. It wasn't particularly pretty. They got the job done and they were, without a question, the best team in that tournament. Not always the best team in the tournament wins it, of course. Mm. But I do, I do, I do take what you're saying. What's your solution to the England midfield problem? Now? Well, so, I, I'm not so, sure. Do you think they need to be? How would you like to see them set up in terms of style? What type of football? Because what I think is, and I, I asked you this question before. Mm. I, I and, and I think you agree with me at the time, but I made the point I think to you that England in these most recent games we've seen. Mm look better and more comfortable in possession than they mm-hmm. did in 2018. Mm-hmm. So they've evolved to an extent. Now, we'll come on in weeks to come about how that yeah. evolution's taken place, but and we'll do a bit of that in the second half today as well. But they are better in possession now. Mm-hmm. But do you think if you remove a key player or two out of that midfield, which is obviously absolutely key to possession, mm-hmm. look at those players. Phillips, Henderson, Bellingham, for sure. Mm-hmm. Probably Rice as well. Yeah. And Mount. What are they all great at? They're great at different things, but they're all actually pretty tidy mm-hmm. in possession. They're yeah. good at turning over possession. They're good at decisions. Right. If you lose key players out of that, it means that they have to ask questions of themselves as a coaching staff about how they set up. Mm-hmm. And and as ever, finally, I know you wanted to move me on, Marcus, rapidly, but finally, very, very, very quickly, mm. it isn't actually even about what England do in the next few games, what they did in the last few games, and mm-hmm. what even they do in the group stage, probably in the tournament. It comes down to what happens when they play someone good. Yep. Because their record in 2018 was fine, mm. but it was just fine. Yep. The, the good teams they played against, they ultimately came unstuck under. Mm-hmm. And regardless of everything else that's changed over the last 10 years, that's always been the case. Mm. No, I agree. I think that I, th- I agree with the 4 3 3. And I think that if those midfield players are not there, then Mount could be asked to play a little bit deeper. All right. 
Let's move on um, to an easier one. Who's going to play it right back? That's not an easier one. <laughs> um, now, there was a lot of chat about Trent Alexander-Arnold this week. Uh, made the mistake against Real Madrid, uh, of course, which led to a goal in their uh, Champions League tie um, in Madrid. Now, some fans are very, very unhappy. Even, I mean, not just fans, but Gary Lineker was like, why on earth is Trent Alexander-Arnold not in, in the England squad, the latest one, of course. Mm. He's been a phenomenal player in the last few years. People thought to them, you know, this guy's now going to take, he's the, he's the heir to the right-back throne, mm-hmm. which there's a lot of competition for. Um, at the start of the season, obviously Liverpool have coughed and spluttered a bit this season. Trent Alexander's form wasn't great last year. He's been good this year. I think there is a little bit of a strange thinking or convenient thinking that, oh, his form's taken a bit of a dip. And I know Southgate said that himself, which angered a lot of uh, Liverpool fans. But this position, there is so much strength and depth. There is so much competition for it. And I'm we're touching it this week and we will talk about this position in subsequent weeks, I'm sure. Um, but if you think about it, the, the four names in 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 the hat for right back, Carl Walker, Reese James, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Kieran Trippier. Mm. Um, I mean, Carl Walker for me is in. Mm. I don't think too many people would argue that mm. whether you think that or not, whether you think that he is one of the best of those four, I personally think he is. Mm. His pace helps England so much. Mm. Um, I think he's going to play. And also if England did want to play a back three, he has played in the back three. Uh, for England as well. It's interesting, isn't it, again, about timing, because it wasn't that long ago when people were saying that Carl Walker was on thin ice for England. Exactly, when he got sent off against <clears> Iceland, <throat> for example. Yeah. He looked crestfallen and he thought, I've, I've, I've ruined my it, chances. Yeah. 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 And and for me, again, it comes down to also the performances that we want to be focusing on against the big teams. Do My question would be, do England really believe they can beat a big team in a knockout game in a tournament, right? Yeah. Now, if they... If they need help believing that, they need to pick the players that are going to help them believe that. And my my concern around Trent Alexander Arnold is that he's it's actually not even a question about whether he's been you know has he been good this year mm-hmm. uh, compared to last year yeah. and obviously the year before that he was brilliant. To me, it's about his consistency of performances mm-hmm. because he seems quite able to follow up good performances with quite poor ones at the moment. Yeah. Um. The performance against Real Madrid at the time of recording was was obviously very, very poor. Before that, he was actually pretty good. Mm. Was he up against much against Arsenal? They didn't really turn up. Fine. Was he good against Everton in the derby? He wasn't. The, the game, I think it was, that Henderson actually picked up his injury mm. against up against Luca Dina. He was really, really poor. I mean, and and mm. I don't know, if, and I think the, 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 the question around Southgate dropping him from the squad is actually quite an, quite an easy one. Mm. It's basically about saying, don't think you're always going to be in this squad, pal. Mm-hmm. See you next time, hopefully. He, well, he also knows what to expect with Trent. He knows everything. He's, I mean, he's got 12 him. England caps, although that's sure, a few but, more than, say, Rhys James. But that happens with a lot of players. A yeah. lot of players, you think, oh, they're part of the furniture and they've only got a handful. Mm-hmm. Because it just, it can be, it depends on the profile of the player, how well they've done at club level. But he's just saying to Alexander-Arnold there, mm-hmm. don't think you're always going to be in here. Mm-hmm. Giving him a little nudge, it's fine to do that. If he pick, he's, I'm sure he'll be in the squad. Mm-hmm. For me, though, that's a long run-up of, of answering your question, which for me, I think, I would pick, as a starting right-back for England, mm-hmm. I would pick Rhys James. Over Carl Walker? I think he's in, I think he's in the best form mm-hmm. of the players you've listed. He's great against Porto the other night. Fantastic against Porto. He's now playing in the latter stages of the Champions League and doing well, mm-hmm. as you've said. And he's also uh, completely fearless. And, and also... He can do a bit of everything, Reese James. Mm. He's positionally good. He's quick enough, and defensively and um, attacking, attacking-wise, mm. he's, he's he's solid. Mm-hmm. So for me, he's got everything in his locker. Mm. And and you don't want to get into a conversation. With, and this may sound unfair. I don't mean it to sound unfair. 
but you don't want to get into a conversation with Carl Walker where you're already at a tournament and it, uh, all of a sudden it looks like it's been a long season and it's a tournament too far for him because mm-hmm. of his age and because of his miles on the clock. Mm-hmm. His pace gets him out of a lot of trouble, Carl Walker, and it's not always going to be there. No. It, it shouldn't decline too much in the next few months, though. You never know. It's a long season. It's a long old season. Well, I, I, we will... He's 30 years old now. Yeah. He'll be 31 by then. Right. Well, it, the right-back position will certainly be one we come back to in, this, in subsequent weeks. Mm. Um, because if, barring injuries, England have got four excellent options there. And that I think that position, more than any, mm. is the most difficult to pick. It is. And I think, going back to Alexander Arnold very briefly, there is an element to this where you say, OK, they've been so inconsistent, Liverpool, in terms of centre-back partnerships. He's a young man still. Mm. He probably benefited a lot from having a very sent- settled, world-class centre-back next to him mm-hmm. um, up until recent times. Or a recent, or a very settled, world-class centre-back pairing, which enabled him to go on and do his thing. Mm-hmm. You take that away from him, you know what it's like. You play football at any level, you get used to the players you play with. He hasn't had that at Liverpool, so that might be showing him up. Mm-hmm. But that's not England's fault. No. That is, he needs to be picked on his form. Tell you, who I feel sorry for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. He's thinking, yeah. you know, I'm a good player, got a yeah. good move. What about England? Oh, yeah. That's the. It's like going to, you know, chasing the world of adventures. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a nice sunny day. I might go on the bubble works, shower off. That's the length of the queue, is it? <laughs> shower <Sod> off, <laughs> you absolute deviant. <laughs> Have a shower when you get home, Aaron. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we now move on to England's evolution. Uh, Each week we want to trace the different stages of England's recent evolution to understand the successes and mistakes, mainly mistakes, let's be honest, (laughs) uh, that have shaped Southgate's side today and the England setup as a whole. We're going to begin with the transition from Fabio Capello to Roy Hodgson. But look, what are we we really looking for uh, in this section? Yeah, so I think context is everything, right? So we're at the position we're at with Gareth Southgate's team now. We saw what what happened in in, in the summer of 2018, an Mm -hmm. amazing summer for lots of different reasons, but also football-wise because England did did pretty well. And I think it's worth pointing out it's been a long road (laughs) up to 2018. And I think it probably starts at the failure to qualify for 2008 Mm -hmm. and Fabio Capello coming in as this quote-unquote born winner Mm -hmm. who sets us off on this journey that we're now, I guess we're now kind of still on, but Mm -hmm. 11 years hence. Um, So we thought we'd start a World Cup 2010 and Fabio Capello because it was an interesting period um, and it maybe sets the platform for England to wildly vary between all these different types of managers they've had over the years before they finally settled yes. on um, Gareth's gang. Gareth's gang. Well, of course, the f- he's not the first uh, foreign... So speedos to waistcoat. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the speedos. The Capello speedos. He looked magnificent in them. Yeah, he probably he, still does. I would say so. But yeah, he he's probably changed them by now. Yeah, and uh, don't worry, everybody. Uh... Um, everybody uh, playing Sven Bingo right now. No, um, he's not, he's, the, not the first foreign manager England had. No, that was the deal. That was the deal that we did. Um, Marcus could have his own English show. There was no mention of Sven. You've actually broken it by by saying that. Oh well, I was yeah. hoping to get paid as well. There we are. <laughs> not to worry. But um, but yes, uh, he, he was sort of parachuted in Capello, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, in that, as you say, born winner, he was going to whip them into shape. The, the the golden generation had had sort of failed. There was still a little bit of. Um, some of those players were still there in 2010 and notably Jared Lampard of course uh, but the but, but Capello 
had wanted the England job for a number of years, mm. interestingly. Um, he'd, he'd won titles pretty much wherever he'd gone. And it was like, right, we need someone. The, and, and at the time, with all the... You remember in 2006, was the chats about all the wags, and it was a bit... They were quite flash, the team, and it was kind of like, no, we need someone to come in and drill them. Yeah, we need someone because that's what this England team need, and then England will win a tournament. Well, it started off with with that. It started off with a soft touch, and yep. then Capello was the first manager they got in. I feel like who was almost like a disciplinarian. Yes. So, so Capello was. I mean, the, the example a lot of people use is the, is what he turned Zlatan Ibrahimovic into mm. from this kind of um, you know this fancy Dutch style because he obviously a lot of he Ajax. said I'll kick Ajax out yeah exactly yeah. and turned him into a dedicated mm. born winner who just wanted to score goals as well and mm. win at all costs and I think if my memory serves me correct now correctly and I understand a lot of people listening will be a bit too young to remember this in any detail but it felt to me like yes Capello is the final piece of the jigsaw yeah. we're going to get him in yeah, there yeah, yeah. he's not going to take any shit from anyone the that's player right. power is absolutely massive that's right That's right. Um, whether it's Rooney or Lampard or Gerrard or whoever Terry, yeah. yeah or Terry um, and, and Fabio Capello is going to whip them into shape. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. Mm. Sometimes you can crack the whip too hard. Yeah, but 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 this will probably stimulate a, a more a more deep conversation we'll maybe have about England generally mm-hmm. over the coming weeks, which may be one around um, excuses. Yes. So when I when I first started putting little buzzwords in my in my prep for this, when I knew we were going to be doing this show, I was thinking about the things that I think of when we refer to England. And to me, excuses is quite near the top of the list. Now, I'm not saying that the players necessarily actively make excuses in mm-hmm. interviews. Perhaps they do, perhaps they don't. That's not what I mean. What I mean is they looked, it seems to me that they regularly looked for a way out yep. of, of every situation in their room. If they got an arm around the shoulder from mm-hmm. Steve McLaren, a kick up the arse from Fabio Capello, mm-hmm. um, an old school kind of drill you rhythm, rhythmically coach like Hodgson, which yep. we'll come on to, and whatever... It felt to me that nothing seemed mm. to work. Mm. And I think Capello's um, era is interesting because there was quite a lot of expectation when he came in because of his record. Yes. The things he had achieved in the game were astonishing, yep. and they still are, mm-hmm. as a player and a manager, yet it still didn't work. Marcus, what are your kind of memories from that era? And I'm thinking particularly around the disappointing... Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I was about to say, the disappointing draws against the USA and Algeria... Ugh. And the knockout from from Germany, but that's pretty much all of it. Well, I mean, the knockout from Germany, it felt like we were put out of our misery. You know, that's what it felt like. I mean, that Algeria game was just so drab. I mean, England qualified in in quite functional and and um, determined form for that World yes, Cup. They had Ukraine in their group, Croatia. I mean, it looked like a difficult group on paper, but actually um, they nailed it pretty easily. They took care of business. Yeah. And and we thought, oh, here we go. Now, Capello, he always liked a 4-4-2, even back in his sort of Milan sides, you know, obviously vastly different group of players and so on. Hmm. Do you remember when there was, I think there was an injury worry over Gareth Barry or something? And there we was, thought, yeah. And we thought, well, that's it, we're, we're buggered. Hmm. You know, this is such a crucial player. Um, Gerard was on the left side. Um, Rooney started the tournament up top with Heskey. Mm. Again, looking back on it, it feels like well, I'm just trying to fit everybody in, and I'm yeah. not really. Where's the system? Where's the mm. where's the, the 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 style of this England side? And 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 when they played Germany, I mean, it was it was men v boys. Mm. I remember Alan Shearer being in the studio when it was the first German goal was just route one. It was ridiculous, and and Shearer just threw his pen down. It was like, how on earth can you concede a goal like that? It's interesting because Marcus. Everything we've said about England in this era under Capello is true. But this game is a really fascinating game because you can read it one of two ways. And I watched it back yesterday. Mm. One way you can read it is that it's men v boys, like Mm. you've said. I think that's absolutely fair. 
Germany looked like they were playing modern football. We looked like we were just struggling to yeah. catch up. Catch up, particularly when you'd flick the TV over the next game day and yeah. you'd have Spain. Mm. Isn't they playing a different sport to us? Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like. Absolutely. But this game in isolation, though, is a, if you wanted to be a little bit more simplistic and Occam's razor it, you could say they started badly. Mm. A huge mistake, undone by a terrible high ball that actually would, would shame a Sunday league team. Yep. Then after that, they start to chase the game because mm. it's knockout football. Yeah, right? You yeah, don't yeah. blame them for that necessarily. They're doing it in a really kind of um, very simplistic, almost naive way, mm. but they're trying to chase the game. They get beaten 4-1 because in knockout tournament, yeah. you might as well get beaten 6-1 no, if you're going to get beaten 2 It doesn't matter. So And then there's that, that, that key moment England have just before half-time. Not only does that Lampard goal, which everyone knows about, England score a goal through Matthew Upson, mm. and I think Lampard hits the bar not long after half-time mm. from miles out from a free kick. Mm-hmm. Neuer doesn't have a very good game. David James doesn't have a very good game. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. In a way, it's good that it was billed by everyone in the media, including us, as being what it was because it served us to to look a little bit more deeply as to what we were doing. Yeah. And you would argue, actually, and we are arguing on this show, mm. that that's led us to where we are now. Yeah, I agree. And again, it's it, on the field, it's interesting to map this, is, as I say, recent evolution of this England side, but off the field as well. The fans, the England fans. Now, I don't agree with this type of behaviour, but the fans, as the England players left the field in Bloemfontein in South Africa, the fans are spitting blood. They yeah. are furious. Now, I don't agree with that. I think that's madness, you know. Yeah. But you, you, you see that anger, hmm. that frustration. It just hadn't worked. And I think we felt like, what? That Not even Capello can sort this out. Hmm. We thought, well, it must be those lazy players who don't want it and all this kind of chat. And it was very, very frustrating. Now, we move on to, say, the qualifying for Euro 2012, just very, very quickly. Um, Capella qualified for Euro 2012. I actually forgot that. I thought he left halfway through the qualifying, but he did. And he began to change the formation a bit to 4-3-3. And that was interesting. But he spoke about players having um, a, 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 a being fragile mentally and all this kind of stuff and whatnot. Then he quit over the John Terry captaincy, being stripped of the, compa- uh, the captaincy, and he aired his frustrations on Italian TV. And it was all just imploding. Mm. it was all just coming apart and Hodgson takes over a few months before Euro 2012 yeah. I look back on the Capello era as, as something that if you look at it in retrospect you say a couple of things I would say one is that <clears throat> he's an old man then, mm. with respect to him I mean, he's, he's 74 now so he would have been 60 in his mid 60s by then Yeah. Um, and um, he also clearly the, the, the skills and I don't think enough is made of this but the skills needed and the approach needed for international football is completely different. When you get someone from club football who's been club football his whole career, mm. used to working with players every day, used yep. to drilling them, used to almost psychologically rebuilding them in the image that you, what you need. Mm-hmm. You can't do that international football no. because they just go away again and they go and play for their clubs, and that's where they spend most of their time. Mm-hmm. So to me, it looked a bit naive. It looked a little bit like it was... Th- th- the best way I could explain England's p- their, in that period was they were playing... A PS2 in the world of PS4s. Yes, do you know what I mean. It was it was like very much. This is how we've always done it. This is how mm. we're going to do it. And actually, the world had moved on a bit, and England weren't humble enough to 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 introspect. You remember look. the salary was off. Yeah, I mean, it was so like people going, "What you're paying the money?" Because again, it was like we've got the money. We'll sort this out. There's the quick fix, yeah. you know. Yeah. So they went for Hodgson, and we're going to end this section just briefly talking about Euro 2012. Hodgson comes in, only got a few months before the Euros to take over. So it was he got a bit of a free hit, didn't he? Got a bit of a free hit. I mean, I was pleased. I love old Roy the boy, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, and he'd wanted the England job for a number of years as well. And Hodgson had experience as an international manager. So it was an interesting appointment. He favoured a 4-4-2 more zonal system, which had served him well in many years 
prior to that, notably for Fulham, for me, of course. Um, and in the tournament itself, England weren't particularly inspiring. We saw them in Kiev uh, play uh, an entertaining match 3-2 against Sweden. Sweden. yeah. But really, it was it was very zonal. It was, well, a quite Hodgson side, really. Mm. But I think, again, people gave them a bit of a free hit. But, and they came through the group, a difficult group, but then against Italy, despite the, the Italians not scoring over 120 minutes, England were, I mean, this was like going back to the dark ages. Mm. Joe Hart had more touches than any other England player against Italy. And most of those touches involved him booting the ball right up to Andy Carroll. Mm. And again, think about that in hindsight. Mm. You can't imagine mm. Southgate side playing like that. He'd be bellowing at them going, what on earth are you like? And also the young players growing up now in England, they don't tend to sort of think route one no, so much. Of course not. And there's lots of different reasons for that. Yeah. But <clears throat> I think Roy got a free hit for Euro 2012 for the mm -hmm. reasons you've stated. And I think it is interesting to consider the type of coach Roy Hodgson is. Now I've, I've worked regularly mm. or over the years with players who've played under Roy Hodgson in, in, and I've worked with them in the media. And they say, and you know this as well as I do, Marcus, what Roy Hodgson tends to do is he will just make everything almost second nature. Yeah. So you go through patterns of play, mm -hmm. you go through drills, and you do them every single day. Mm. So it becomes like a, a second nature thing to do. When you get the ball to feet here in this part of the pitch, you do that. Mm. When you go there, you make that run there. Mm -hmm. And that's how he does it. And that's why, in my opinion, he's been successful with almost unfashionable teams. Yes. Your Switzerland's at international level, mm -hmm. your Fulham's, mm. and that, those kind of teams. That's probably why it didn't work for Liverpool, with Liverpool. Oh, completely. Plenty of people have said, the players just weren't having it. They're too good for that. They yeah. weren't able to express themselves. Exactly. So when you apply that to England, it almost feels a bit like it kind of should work if you're coming in last minute because mm. you can just go back to basics. Like yeah. you say, do your zonal bits, do your drills, do your, um, do your, do your patterns of play. Mm -hmm. But actually, when you go up against a good team like Italy, yeah. it doesn't give you but the But it kind of worked in, in, in a way because Italy didn't score. Oh, it, so, no, so, sorry, so it yes, does so it, that job. It worked up to a point where you needed to be expansive and, and put your yeah. own impression on the game and exactly. you weren't able to do that. It, it, exactly right. Um, and it felt a bit crap. England lost again on penalties despite an England fan getting his old boy out trying to <laughs> put the <laughs> Italians the off. Yeah. You try to put Pirlo off? Montalivo well, maybe? I can't yeah, remember. A, pe a penis was seen. It was seen. That was the penis that was seen, yeah, of course. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, but yeah, England, they, they go out the tournament, um, the tail between the legs, but there was still a bit of hope. Oh, okay, Hodgson, okay. That, that is, again, free hit. Oh, there's always hope, Marcus. That's why we're aware. Indeed, yeah. But yeah. we're going to talk about the, uh, the more of the Roy Hodgson era next week, of course, on, mm. uh, on, on Lions Watch. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Right, everybody. Um, that's the end of, uh, of this first episode of Lions Watch. Appreciate you getting involved. Uh, do get in touch with your questions ahead of next week's show if you want to get involved even more. Tell us the unfashionable players you'd want to see in this England squad for the Euros in 2021 2020. <laughs> That's a Pandora's box. <laughs> is Bobby Moore, Bobby Zamora still playing? That's the same as your favourite player. <laughs> of course, the email is show at footballramble.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch. Myself and Luke will be back next Saturday with the latest England news and looking back at Roy Hodgson's side at the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Euros. The plot does thicken. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> in how we went from that through the gears, through the years, uh, as to what we have now with uh, Southgate's side. And Big Sam's getting his own dedicated episode for his game <laughs> because of the whole game. He certainly wants that. <laughs> yeah. There we are. Thank you very much from me. Thank you very much from me as well. See you next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.